it's good to be here. Good to see you all. You have a lot of notes, don't you? Right there. Carl Peck. Um, we'll go through them. I'll walk you through. But if you would please just rifle through them. And when you see the page that looks like this with the colorful spirals, um, pull that one out of your outline there that you picked up today. Just pull that out and stick that somewhere where you'll be able to find it easily. We'll be talking about that. Also, if you happened to have, if you happen to have your blue transformation of man folder in your somewhere with you, we'll we'll pull that out and look at that this morning as well. And as always, we're going to cover the Wellspring purpose and disciplines, and so you'll want to have those handy too. And you know, because this is really, it's such a jam-packed lesson, and I'm sorry I don't pause and rewind, you know, you can't do that to me. Um, if you miss anything, just feel free to listen online later. I'm not going to be able to read every quote um, or every Bible verse to you, so we're just going to zip right on through. So today, um, let, let me pray before we get started. Father, as I saw the sun rise this morning, it, it just is a, a reminder of your loving kindness to us, to give us night where we can rest and then wake us up with beautiful sky, just proclaiming your glory. Thank you for your steadfast faithfulness. As Jeremiah said, your mercies indeed are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And Lord, we just desire to be faithful women. That's why we're here. We desire to be better image bearers, to be better worshipers. And so we thank you, Lord, for Wellspring. We pray that this lesson would penetrate the deep, deep crevices of our hearts and just help us Lord to be better heart shepherders and may you get all the glory in Jesus name amen and you know what we can just leave that door open and people can come on in yeah well today's leave the door open hi Denise good to see you today's lesson has a lot to say about the things we say more specifically, we're going to focus on the communication that we have with ourselves in our minds. We're going to talk about what I call the tongue of the heart. That, you know, those inner conversations that you have with yourself throughout the day, which in turn, they affect all those around you because ladies, our speech, it, it tattles on us, doesn't it? It's a revealing disclosure of our heart. And you know, you all know James chapter 3. It, it warns us that the tongue is a fire and that its sinful words can spread destruction rapidly and ruin everything around it. 
Now, all these verses that I'm talking about are in your introduction right there on the top page. We also know that Proverbs has a lot to say about the tongue. For instance, Proverbs 10:14 says, "With the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand." Proverbs 12:18 says, "There's one who speaks rashly, like thrusts of a sword." Yikes. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Wow. The bottom line is that what we proclaim out of our skulls to one another was first proclaimed inside our skulls to ourselves. So the question to consider is, will our internal conversations be wise or foolish? You know, it's going to be one or the other, right? Are our internal conversations foolish, bringing ruin, or are they wise, bringing healing? So in your outline in section one introduction, you have the following quote by Paul David Tripp. And it says, or he says, you talk to yourself. No one is more influential in your life because than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. People laugh at this statement, but I'm really quite serious. You are in an unending, incredibly important conversation with your soul every moment of every day. You interpret analyze, organize, analyze what's going on inside you. You talk to yourself about the past. You talk to yourself about the future. And you talk to yourself about what you are experiencing in the present. In the present. Obviously, this is an internal conversation. But that is why it is so dangerous. You often don't realize that you're saying things to yourself that will shape your desires, actions, and theology. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to yourself as much as you talk to yourself. Ladies, what will you say to yourself today? What have you already said to yourself this morning? Were the conversations you had with yourself and with others, were they good for edification? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, which means building up according to the need of the moment. Why? So that it gives grace to those who hear. We must be aware. This is the nuts and bolts about what heart shepherding looks like on a practical level. 
But before we go any further, we must review the basics. So let's turn over your binder and look at the purpose of Wellspring. To equip, to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the Word of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. You know, we call this shepherding your heart. We are all very familiar with that term right now, right? But we could also call it counseling your heart. You could call it coaching your heart. I like to think of it as parenting my heart. Parenting. Because just as I would never leave a child unattended, I must not leave my heart unattended. The good news is, as Christians, we can do this because we've been transformed, right? And we must do this. Why? Because we're in a mixed condition. There is a battle within. You know, this lesson today, it carries no weight for the non-believer. It's a message for believers. It's a message that can help us live gospel-transformed lives. Look down at number two on your outline, Shepherding My Heart Gospel Review. We're going to fill in the blank on the outline there. I can shepherd my heart because I am regenerated. I can shepherd my heart because I am regenerated. I must shepherd my heart because I am in a mixed condition. So write down mixed condition. If we're gonna be wise women, who have wise words that bring edification, we must constantly be filling our minds with wise words, obviously. So let's remind ourselves of discipline one. Back to the back of your notebook, discipline one, the heart. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God and in particular, the gospel. Ladies, we shepherd or parent or counsel or coach our hearts away from our own selfish inclinations and desires, and we shepherd toward someone, Jesus, and his rule over us, and we shepherd with something, and that is his word, the Bible. And ladies, discipline one places an emphasis on the gospel. You'll see it there, in particular, the gospel. We must tell ourselves the gospel. So now we'll just flip over the outline to the back of page one. Now we're on page two. And we have a fill in the blank. We must tell ourselves the gospel often. This will make us wise women who have wise things 
to say to ourselves. It will bring edification, edification, and that word just means improvement or building up to ourselves, again, discipline one, and to others, disciplines two and three, according to the need of the moment. Ephesians 4.29. And so, if you have the blue God's Transformation of Man folder, you can pull that out. If you don't have it, just listen. Because we're such forgetters, it's good to review our state before regeneration. The unregenerate man is right here. We know this, right here on the left side. But it's important to remember this, ladies. It's important to remember that before regeneration, there was absolutely no fight in us. Look at a few key descriptions of this unmixed condition. Just a few of them that I'll highlight are unable not to sin. There's no fight within against sin or for Jesus. Unable to shepherd our heart away from sin and toward God. Scott Maxwell has a helpful analogy of life before regeneration, at regeneration, and after regeneration. And I chatted with him about this uh, pretty recently, and he says it's helpful to think of a person on a skateboard. So before regeneration, ladies, we were that person on a skateboard, and we were speeding downhill away from God. There was no fight in us. We did what would please our flesh. And to see what that looks like, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 1. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Next come two of my favorite words, but God. That's the regeneration event in the middle of your folder. Re that, this is accomplished by God for the believer. We are declared righteous. At regeneration, God picks us up, skateboard and all, and turns our life completely around the other direction. We now have completely new desires. The things that used to attract us now repel us. Back to Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Remember, ladies, at regeneration, there's only one set of fingerprints, one God's. Justification is God's work alone. But after regeneration, there are two sets of fingerprints, God's and ours. Sanctification is God's work, but also our work as we faithfully pray, study the Bible, worship, and serve God. It's a lifelong growth in holiness. Back to Ephesians. We're in verse 10 now. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ladies, thank God we can shepherd our hearts, right? Because now there's a fight in us. It doesn't mean it's easy. It does take discipline. Look at the regenerated man in the center. A few key descriptions of this condition are... We are in a mixed condition, meaning there is residual sin, but there is also the process of progressive renewal. Progressive renewal. We are now able not to sin. We are now able to please God, but there is that fight in us, and it's that fight against sin and that fight for holiness. When we're born again, sin no longer masters us, but our old self, our old sinful nature, it wages a fierce battle against our new selves. We're now on that skateboard, and we're skating uphill, and, and because we're in a mixed condition, We'll go backwards if we back off or rest from the fight. That's why we must be relentless, ladies, relentless for the rest of our lives. And we must remember, and here's the good news, God is relentlessly working for us and in us. Praise God. So on your outline, we'll fill in the blank, the mixed condition of regenerate man requires here we go God's relentless the first fill in the blank is relentless transformation of the believer next the believers diligent pursuit of holiness diligent next the believers wariness about indwelling sin wariness and last the believers serious perseverance serious 
One reference I put there is 2 Peter 1, 5, and I'll read that for you. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, there's that word, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Why? Why are we spending time reviewing this? Because we are in danger of forgetting that if we neglect to shepherd our heart, our heart will take us away. Why? Because until we get to heaven, ladies, there is a fight within us and left to itself, our heart, it's not trustworthy, it's unstable, it's not wise. That's why we must shepherd all of it. Our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions to line up with the truth, rejecting every lie in order to embrace our new identity as image bearers of God. Proverbs 27, 19 says, as in water, face reflects face. You just think of yourself looking down in a stream of water and there's your face. So the heart of man reflects man. And just as our tongue is the tattletale of the heart, so our responses are the tattletales of what our heart truly believes. What we've been dwelling on makes sense, right? So we must begin each day realigning ourselves to the truths about God by feasting on his word. And that's discipline one, the heart. In Psalm 16, verses 7 and 8, David says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. How can David say that the Lord has counseled him if he hadn't spent time in the word. Well, obviously he had, right? Because he declared the Lord had counseled him. So at night, perhaps in his bed, what is David's mind dwelling on? The word of God, right? That's where his mind runs to. That's what he talks to himself about. Try to imagine all the urgent things, right? All the urgent affairs of state that a king might be thinking of and keeping him awake at night. Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. New King James, sound mind. The idea of a sound mind, ladies, it's a mind at ease, at peace. Not perturbed, not harassed, not obsessed with fear and foreboding for the future. No, it's a mind that's disciplined, self-controlled, and properly prioritized. Sound minds 
our minds that have been fed with the word of God. And so let's fill in the blank on the top of page three. We must be in the habit of counseling our own hearts. Sorry, there's not much room there. Squeeze it in teeny tiny. Our own hearts with the word of God. With the word of God, that's discipline one. So that we are more impactful when counseling others' hearts. We must be in the habit of counseling our own hearts with the word of God so that we are more impactful when counseling others' hearts. So throughout this lesson, we'll stop for some triple P's, I call them. Ponder, pause, pray. We'll read the first one together, but we're not going to take time to read the rest of them in class. So when you get home, please read all of them because your homework is going to be to choose, preferably choose three questions to answer. So please don't wait until end of next week to do this. It will help you. It will really be beneficial if you start praying about this today even. So because everything flows. So I'm sorry. Let's read. Pause, ponder, pray. Is there anything more I should do in order to be sufficiently able to preach the gospel to myself? How wholesome, faith-driven, and Christ-centered are the conversations I have with myself every day. What do I tell myself that is wise, wholesome, and brings edification? So because everything flows from the heart, any change in how we live must begin with our heart, right? So let's move on to section two, three on your outline, shepherding my heart when my Bible is open. First question, why? Why must I do it? Well, there are so many answers we could come up with. But for today, let's write the following by that question. Our heart was not designed to be its own authority. Our heart was not designed to be its own authority. It was designed to have God's word be its authority. It was designed to have God's word be its own authority. You have another fill in the blank on the outline. Mm. Scripture has an expectation that we'll be women who care well for our souls. Women who speak God's words to ourselves throughout the day. Speak God's words. And so our internal conversation begins way before we even open the Bible in the morning. A good habit to get into is to ask ourselves why. Just simply remember three little letters. Why? Why am I about to read the word? And this this do just doing this will help you become more fully engaged in your reading. And it's something you could ask your kids and your grandkids 
too before you read to them because on the outline I have the asterisks here. If I have failed to ask myself why I read the Bible before I start, I won't be prepared to shepherd my heart all day long. So let's go on to the next question, how? Well, how must I do it? You know, there are several answers we could put in here too. But for today, let's just write this. We must come prayerfully, prayerfully. As part of the homework to prepare for this lesson, we all got to look at prayer, an example of how the Wellspring disciplines might shape your prayerful approach to God through his word. And we were to list as many reasons as we could find as to why we prayerfully become, uh, come before God with our Bible open. I hope that was a helpful exercise for you. I hope that benefited you. I know it did me. Well, for this lesson, we're going to consolidate all those reasons into six bullet points. You have them on your outline. So now let's move on to the top of page three, and let's fill in this part. We come to the Word of God in order to grow in knowledge of God. Knowledge of God. We have come, or we come to have a proper view of Him, to believe what's true about Him, and this involves having a deliberate focus on the magnitude of God's person and power. You may remember reading part of the prayer where it says, I have your word open before me because you have revealed yourself there more clearly than any other place, and I long to know you better, right? I'm sure you are familiar with A.W. Tozer. Um, I've heard this reference many times. It's such a good book. He writes, in Knowledge of the Holy. How many of you know that book? It's a great book. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Wow. It's true. See, what we believe about God is crucial because it's the lens through which, like my glasses, the lens through which we look at everything else. It's the lens through which we talk to ourselves, whether false things or true things. You know, it's like putting a drop of red food coloring, one drop in water. It affects everything else. Say, if we have wrong thinking about God, we'll tell ourselves wrong thinking about everything else. If we don't see God as he really is, we'll start telling ourselves things about him that are untrue. Invariably, we'll have a distorted view of ourselves, too, and our circumstances. Let me give you a for instance. For instance, if we have constructed in our minds a God who is weak or powerless or not in control of Every single detail, every leaf on a tree, every hair on your head, every single detail of the universe, what's going to happen? We're going to see ourselves inevitably 
down the road maybe, but we'll see ourselves as being helpless and every storm and circumstance that comes, we will just be overwhelmed. Number two, we come to the Word of God. Why? In order to grow in worship of God. Worship of God. Remember, ladies, we were created to be worshipers. We were. But in our mixed condition, left to ourselves, we are in a mixed condition, and if we leave uh, ourselves unattended, our hearts, do you know what they're going to be inclined to do? They're going to be inclined to worship ourselves and our own selfish desires. That's why spending time in his word helps us put that focus right where it belongs, on God, off of ourselves. So part of your, the prayer that we read is, you are worthy to be worshipped, and I desire to see more of you in your word. I desire my heart and my mind to be full of you. Because of what these pages reveal to me about all your greatness. Thirdly, we grow in fear and awe of God. Fear and awe of God. Part of the prayer says, Your word tells me that as God, you are set apart from your creation in holiness. You are also high above all things and sovereign in your reign over all things, including my life. Fourthly, we grow in, grow in my understanding of my need of God. Grow in my understanding of my need of God. Part of the prayer says nearness to you through these pages of scripture is my good. It also says there are treasures in the gospel of Jesus that I have yet to discover in my own life and I long to find them and be nourished by them. I love that. Next, fifthly, we grow in holiness of life and obedience to God. Grow in holiness of life and obedience to God. Ladies, we're such experts at seeing sin in other people's lives. <laughs> you know, we, we need to be able to recognize our own sin, don't we? And we need to notice where our sinful patterns are in our own lives. And we need to shepherd our heart when we see sin in our own life. We need to be able to counsel ourselves with God's word daily, hourly, all day long. We need to, and this is part of the prayer, study what righteousness and holiness of life looks like for one who has been made a new creature in Christ. If I don't study this righteousness and holiness of life and what the blessings of obedience are, I should not expect my desire for obedience to grow. And lastly, we grow in being an image bearer of God, an image bearer of God. And this is where you see disciplines two and three play out. In the prayer it says, I long for you to 
spill out of me and into my home and wherever you have me today. All who come into contact with me today must interact with one whose heart has drawn near to you and is striving to obey you. So the key takeaway, and I have it asterisked for you on the outline, is that I must be fully engaged when my Bible is open because what I do when I interact with God through his word will have an effect on how I interact with others, with myself and others throughout the day. We have many godly examples of what it looks like to speak um, truth about God as a result of habitually reading and pondering and memorizing and studying the Bible. But I'd like to read part of an email um, from Zach Can, and he sent this just five days after that 7.6 magnitude earthquake destroyed his house and that of the former, <laughs> the former, um, Oh my goodness, Dodds, thank you. Dodds house, the Mitchells live in it now. It just, down they went. And listen to what Zach says. Focus on God, he says. Like every other trial we have ever, ever faced in our lives and our ministries, this comes from Yahweh, the God who was and is and will be. He shook those mountains and made our houses fall all the delays and sufferings which are ahead of us were planned and brought about by him. And only God does what is good and loves us. And he loves to use the weak things of the world to shame the quote-unquote wisdom of mankind. When calamity strikes us, God remains seated on his throne. He's not scurrying in heaven trying to make things somehow turn out for good. He is at peace, and he is in complete control. Though we do not perceive his purposes in this, he has them, and he is working. I mean, talk about lenses through which he is looking at the world, right? So you have some more ponder, or pause, ponder, pray. You can look at that later. So now your Bible is closed, okay, and the rest of the day, lies ahead of you, complete with challenges, obstacles, and yes, opportunities. We're on to section four, shepherding my heart throughout the day. Again, there's a question. There are many answers we could put as to why. Why do we have to shepherd our hearts? But let's just fill in the blank for this answer. On your outline, it says, if I don't shepherd my heart throughout the day, I will be in danger of drifting away from the truth. Drifting away. <coughs> Excuse me. Hebrews 2.1. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. I want you to listen to what John Piper says about this verse. He says, we all know people this has happened to. There's no urgency, no vigilance, no focused listening or considering or fixing the eyes on Jesus. 
and the result has not been a standing still, but a drifting away. That's the point here. There's no standing still. I want you to remember the skateboard ladies. The life of this world is not a lake. It's a river. And it's flowing downward to destruction. If you do not listen earnestly to Jesus and consider him daily and fix your eyes on him hourly, then you will not stand still. You will go backward. You will float away from Christ. Drifting is a deadly thing in the Christian life. And the remedy for it, according to Hebrews 2.1, is pay close attention to what you have heard. That is, consider what God is saying in his son Jesus. Fix your eyes on what God is saying and doing in his son Jesus. This is not a hard swimming stroke. The only thing that keeps us from swimming against sinful culture is not the difficulty of the stroke, but our sinful desire to go with the flow. Let's not complain that God has given us a hard job. Listen, consider, fix the eyes. This is not what you would call a hard job description. In fact, it's not a job description. It's a solemn invitation to be satisfied with Jesus so that we do not get lured downstream by deceitful desires. If you are drifting today, one of the signs of hope that you are born again is that you feel pricked by this, for this, and you feel a rising desire to turn your eyes toward Jesus and consider him and listen to him in the days and months and years to come. I love that quote. So now we're on the top of page five. How must I do it? Well, this lesson is called shepherding your heart throughout the day. And quite simply, it means you're using God's word to talk, to tell your mind what to think, your emotions, what to feel, your will, what to want, and your mouth, what to say. It's using God's word to direct everything inside of you so that everything that comes out is glorifying to God in accordance with his word. And that, ladies, is the path for growing in godliness. And remember the skateboard? We're laboring diligently and pursuing holiness. And we must be aware, though, of the dangers on the path we're on. I grew up in cold country, first Minnesota, and then we moved to Canada. We moved to Alberta and later to Ontario. And one of the big dangers of driving on the winter roads is black ice. 
So when I think of dangers and hazardous conditions, I can't help but think of black ice. Now it's that thin layer of ice and it's, it blends in with the surroundings. It blends in with that dark asphalt. So it gives, it just looks like asphalt and it hides. And that's why it is such danger. That's why it wreaks such havoc because oftentimes you don't even know it's there until it's too late. Black ice is dangerous because drivers can't see it, their tires can't grip it, and their brakes can't work properly on it. So when drivers can't see it, they're not prepared for driving over it and thus the potential loss of control. And that's exactly what happened to me. Once I was in a passenger in the car, bunch of crazy teenagers, and the driver hit black ice and reacted improperly and spun out into a ditch. And the car actually rolled over, just rolled over. And thankfully though, we were all okay in that upside down car. But we had to unroll the windows and we had to climb out. And you know what? It all happened so quickly. But you know, there are safety measures that we can take and we learned them in driver's ed. It was drilled into us. And I want to use this analogy to help us understand how we can correct ourselves by three things. Being aware, slowing down, and responding appropriately to our internal conversations. So you have on the outline, be aware, and that's the first safety measure. So in other words, what this means is you need to know the condition of your heart. Now this would also apply to environmental conditions, we'll call them, like your health or how much sleep you've gotten or even the time, your time of month. This is where, and on your outline there, on the asterisks, you remind yourself that you are in a potentially dangerous place if you don't respond appropriately. Ladies, we must be aware because that because you are in a mixed condition, you know what's going to happen? You, I, we're going to be tempted to doubt God, and we're going to be tempted to forget how dependent we are on him. Remember Jesus, what he said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. The second safety measure is slow down. When icy roads are imminent or in progress, or you know what? You're not even aware that you're about to go into a slide. So here on your outline, I wrote, you take inventory to see if what you're saying to yourself about the current situation is true. The third safety measure is respond. You want to respond appropriately to slides. Don't panic. You know what you do? You may have learned this also. You turn into the slide. You focus 
where you want your vehicle to go. And here is when you, on the outline, you pray, admitting that without Christ, you can do nothing. You turn away from yourself. You steer toward God in confidence that he will, will provide the help you need. You tell yourself, you talk to yourself, you tell yourself God's riches are inexhaustible and you can trust him to provide what he promised that he would do. Now this next part is a gift to us, a gift from Tom and Anne Angstead, and they have used this in many a biblical counseling session. They've taught it to the men at Build and the women at Wellspring, Wellspring for many years, and that's part three, listening to myself, my thoughts, my reasonings. Tom and Anne have developed these spirals, and now we can take a peek at them, because they've seen the, a dangerous pattern of thinking where a good desire, a moral desire, changes quickly and morphs into, I deserve. And finally, I demand. And just like that black ice, you may be in a slide headed for a crash before you even know it. So let's study this so that we can make the proper course corrections, okay? Before we lose control. Let's look down at the spiral. It begins, the top one begins with the green and ends spiraling down in the red. You'll notice the words. I desire plus I deserve equals I demand right there below the spiral. And on the left, you see the attitudes that are welling up inside you because you're telling yourself something about your given situation. And on the right side, you see the actions that will manifest themselves outside of you as a result of your attitudes. So let's start with, I desire. Now we all know what that means, desire, right? It's simply a hope or a longing for something. Well, I'm not talking about sinful desires, like coveting. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about desires that are in and of themselves not bad things, like a clean house or a promotion at work or good grades at school or quiet neighbors or obedient children or saved family members or a decent income or restored relationships or how about a good night's sleep, etc. right? But these good desires, you know what they can do? They can quickly turn into sinful desires Here's what we do. We allow our disappointment to become discouragement and then finally despair if things don't go as planned or hoped for. Again, let's realize it's not wrong to have unfulfilled desires. It's not to have unfulfilled longings. Mm -mm, that's not wrong. 
but we must learn to accept those longings, okay? And then what do you do? You surrender them to God and you look to him to meet our deepest needs of our heart. See, if we don't, you know what's going to happen? Those unmet desires will quickly lead us into feeling discouraged and then finally despairing. So what's the remedy? Well, we use our safety measures, and that's at the bottom of page five. First of all, we're aware. Be aware. Ladies, let's remember, okay, we're in our mixed condition, so this sin will be an issue. It's in our sinful nature to take a good desire and turn it into a demand. It is. So first of all, let's not be surprised if initially we respond this way, okay? Don't be surprised, but here's the key. Just don't let yourself keep responding this way. Secondly, we should also be aware how quickly that can happen. You must be aware that your daily actions tattle on your heart. They speak volumes of what holds first place. My good desire can quickly become an idol. Yes, an idol. If I am willing to harbor that sinful attitude. So be aware. You can do an idol check. So I have that on your outline on asterisks. What is an idol? Anything that I want more than God. Anything I rely on more than God. Anything I look to for greater fulfillment than God. In his book, I have it here, The Green, Greener Grass Conspiracy. Not sure how to pronounce his last name. I'm just going to say Altrogi. Okay, Stephen Altrogi. And he writes, idols are terrible masters. They demand our love, our thoughts, our affections, our time, our dreams, and desires. They never satisfy. They never deliver as promised. Idols always leave us feeling in a state of dizzy discontentment. So we have our safety measure. This, the B safety measure is to slow down. You know, have you ever driven for a while and you suddenly realize that you haven't even been paying attention for the last few miles? You know, I do that too. Well, the same thing happens all the time when we don't pay attention to our inner conversations. You're just blah, 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 blah. And you don't even pay attention to what you're saying. Ladies, slow down. Don't just let those thoughts flood and swirl around in your mind unattended. Address them. Don't ignore the warning signs. Well, you have to know what warning signs to look for. So I put them on the bottom of page five. I am on black ice when I'm crushed if I don't get what I want. When I stake my happiness on getting what I want, when I grumble and complain when I don't have what I want, when I demand what I want, I should slow down. 
you know, I should make a list. Take an inventory, reasons why I am, and then you fill in the blank. You know, maybe I'm feeling unhappy with my home. You know, I used to love my home, and now I'm going around seeing everything I don't like about my house. I need to stop, time out. I need to take inventory. You know, maybe I've been watching way too much HGTV, and now look what happened. Maybe I'm coveting someone else's lifestyle, and I'm kind of not happy with my own, their vacations, their whatever. I need to take inventory. And then I discover, oh yeah, I've been spending way too much time on social media. Maybe I'm irritable. I take inventory. And I discover, you know, I've been self-indulgent. Oh yeah, I've been eating way too much junk food. I've been consuming way too much entertainment. Or I'm irritable because I'm a news junkie. And I've been watching way too much news or listening to way too many of those kind of podcasts. Top of page six, we need to respond. Don't, it's not enough just to see what's happening. You need to respond immediately. Here's what you do. You don't wait. You pray. Ask the Spirit to guide you. Repent. Dig into Scripture. Seek wise counsel. Turn off that TV or that podcast. Put on praise music. Take a walk. Eat something healthy. Next on the spiral, you'll see I deserve. Ladies, I deserve is the biggest pitfall because it's so easy to spiral into I deserve. It's when you think God or your spouse or your friend or your child, etc., owes you something. You might not think they owe you, but here's what you're saying to yourself. I've done all this, and now I deserve that. In essence, you're saying that to yourself. You know, it could be little things like, I worked hard on this meal, or I worked hard at choosing this birthday gift. Can't they even show a little appreciation? I deserve some gratitude, don't I? You know, it could be big things, like we've just come out of a really stressful time in our lives. God, our family could use a little break right about now, don't you think? So let's talk about our safety measures to stop that downward spiral. Be aware, first of all, that I, you need to be aware that I deserve is a big hazard because the world feeds us this lie all the time and we're swimming in this culture of I deserve everything from greeting cards, happy birthday, hope it's the day you deserve. <laughs> to commercials. A few I've heard lately is, you deserve to be free of back pain. You also deserve to have clean carpets. Um, and you've worked hard, so you deserve that new car. Slow down, ladies. 
Remember, in our mixed conditions, our hearts are prone to forget. They're prone to deceive. Remind yourself that biblical contentment is not rooted in circumstances. It's not. Biblical contentment is rooted in the infinitely stronger foundation of God himself. Stephen Altroji writes, and I have this on your outline, true contentment joyfully embraces both prosperity and pain as from the hand of God, our current conditions, season, and circumstances have all been ordained by the great umpire of the world. We don't experience a breeze or a backache that hasn't first been ordained by God for our good and for his glory. In light of this, we must learn to be content in God's will, whatever that may be. That's how we respond. See, respond. You take that inventory and you ask yourself this. You say, do I really believe this? Do I really believe if I have God, I have enough? Or am I more like, yeah, I need God but I, I need him plus close friends. I need God, but I need him plus good health, or I need him plus a husband. I need him plus children. I need him plus a job that pays enough. Do I truly believe God is enough? Do I truly believe that? Or do I find myself turning to other things, maybe other people, food, shopping, friends, hobbies, vacations, family, etc., to fill those empty places of my heart? See, if left unchecked, you could easily, I mean easily, allow yourself to begin coveting something someone else has. You could see your really good desire change into something you think you deserve. You could then be tempted to look around you and see, hmm, someone else has that. Someone else has that. And you know what's going to happen? Jealousy, coveting, their lifestyle, or whatever will soon pop in. And instead of being grateful for what you have, instead of knowing, I have so much, you're going to start grumbling and complaining and going down this downward spiral. On your outline, you have a wonderful quote from John Piper. I'm not going to take time to read it. Let's move down on the spiral to I demand territory. To see if you're in this spiral, all you have to do is look at the actions on the right-hand side. You know, some of these are blatant red flags, like criticizing or returning evil for good. But ladies, there are some subtle ones on there. Withdrawing, just wanting to be by yourself. Loving yourself. This could manifest itself in wasting time or overspending or binge-watching TV or just wanting to be by yourself, withdrawing, boasting, 
as a form of self-protection. You know, making yourself look better, grumbling or complaining. How about indulging a sharp tongue or a critical spirit? Again, in our mixed condition, our hearts may fool us into thinking, you know what, those actions, they're not that bad. Um, they may, they're just like weaknesses, you know, or struggles or personality traits. Let's consider our safety measures, shall we? A, be aware. First, we have to be aware, you know what, these are sins. It's not about how I feel. It's about what God says is true. The way to see this truth about our sin is to see it in light of who God is. And that, that's the only way to do it really is to spend time in his word, focusing on his character. Only then when will we become acutely aware of the hideousness of our sin. We have to remind ourselves that every single sin is in fact rebellion. Every time we choose our way instead of God's way, we're revolting against the king of the universe. R.C. Sproul calls this cosmic treason. Secondly, we have to realize, you know what? Sin likes to hide. It does. It likes to make itself comfortable at home inside us so it doesn't even appear out of the ordinary. Third, we have to understand that's what's really happening when we are becoming demanding is we're reducing God, the great God of the universe, to a cosmic genie. And he exists to please us and serve us. And this lie sets us up for disillusionment and disappointment with him. We might actually start feeding ourselves the lie that any problems that haven't been fixed are because God doesn't care for us. Slow down, understand that if not dwelt with swiftly, this line of thinking will fool us into believing that the goal of life is to be free from all problems. Get rid of every difficult thing, difficult person that's unpleasant. Our society conditions us to think we shouldn't have to live with any problems. We deserve a hassle-free life. That's a lie. Slow down to see if you are telling yourself that lie. The truth is, what's the truth? We know it. Every circumstance, every difficult person should be viewed as instructors from God in the school of contentment. We must learn to be content, ladies. You have a quote from Spurgeon. He talks about this wonderful quote. Let's respond. See, we must repent. All of these attitudes on the left-hand side of the downward spiral are sinful. Pride, arrogance, wise in own estimation, without peace, bitter, 
loving, pleasure and comfort, etc. On your outline, I have a quote from Stephen Altrogi. He says, sin necessitates an internal search and destroy mission. Top of page seven. You must not blame shift, but instead deal with whatever sins you find debilitating in your life. Look for them to manifest themselves in anger, bitter, uh, anger and bitter words, unkind thoughts, excessive criticism, self-conceit, lack of understanding, impatience, weak prayers, immoral thoughts, and even overt sins. You know, ladies, as Christians, the good news is these attitudes and actions, they no longer characterize our lives, thank God, but they won't be completely eradicated until we reach heaven. We will still have to fight this tendency towards this kind of behavior and persevere uphill on that skateboard. And you know, there's a tendency for us to swirl in this vicious cycle. Unmet desires, they naturally just turn into disappointment. And then if left unchecked, they're gonna quickly turn into discouragement and despair. Have you ever played a game with a four or five-year-old and they lost? <laughs> Young kids, you live in that world. <laughs> Young kids have trouble handling disappointments. You can just see them spiraling downward, you know? Well, sadly, we can find ourselves acting like five-year-olds, too, when we don't get our way. Second Timothy 2, 3, and 4, was, it was put on your outline by mistake. Just cross it out. There's a fabulous question you can ask yourself or a friend who's struggling with anxiety or struggling with overeating or binge shopping, etc. So on your outline, you have this fill-in-the-blank, the best diagnostic question, and here it is. I love this question. I use it on myself all the time. Is there something I am disappointed in that I'm not getting? Is there something I'm disappointed in that I'm not getting? Let's look at, uh, at an example of an Old Testament grumbler, Jonah. We know the story. Jonah was called to preach, go east, preach uh, repentance to wicked Nineveh. What does he do? He fled. He flees the opposite direction as far as he can go in the opposite direction. Well, you know the rest of the story. He finally obeyed the Lord and he did preach to Nineveh. And the people believed and God repented. They, pre they believed God and repented. And even the king repented. And it says in Jonah 3.10, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked ways, God relented concerning the, the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Yay, right? Not so much. Because verse, chapter 4, verse 1, it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. There was Jonah, sulking in his little shelter, wishing he were dead. And then he realized, oh, a wonderful plant is growing up around him. And suddenly, 
the heat of the day was eased by that plant's shadow, Jonah was very, very happy. But God appointed a worm that brought destruction to that plant, and the plant shriveled up. Little emojis, you can just imagine them all, right? Jonah became so angry, he wanted to die. And God confronted him, thankfully. God confronted him about this twice. Two times, Jonah 4, 4 and 4, 9. You know what he wanted the prophet to see? He wanted him to see that his circumstances, it was not, sorry, his circumstances that were actually causing his depression, but rather his angry response to God's sovereign choices. We can see in Jonah's reactions many of the attitudes on that downward spiral. And we can see pride, arrogance. He was wise in his own estimation. He was without peace. He was bitter, angry, ungrateful, hopeless. His actions were demanding, weren't they? Loving self, grumbling, criticizing. Here's the big one, not asking God. He was withdrawing. Ladies in our lives, we will encounter both. God appointed plants that make us comfortable and happy. <laughs> and God appointed worms that remove comfort from our lives. The very best encouragement we can tell ourselves is that we know we're not held in the grip of some blind, fatalistic force. Rather, our Heavenly Father, who loves us, is ordering everything that he might achieve his ultimate purpose to make us more like his son and bring us home to his side. Do you recognize where I got that from? Romans 8, 28 and 29. So consider your life, ladies. Where are your plants? Where are your worms? And will you seek to give thanks for both? Secure in the knowledge that both are given by a loving Father for your eternal good. You see, Jonah was listening to the lies that he was telling himself about God's goodness and compassion. And just like Jonah, we can be swept away in that downward spiral and swirl around in despair unless we stop listening to ourselves and declare truth to ourselves. Josh Kelso says, fight what you feel with what you know. That's the only way to get off of this kind of spiritual and emotional roller coaster. We must yield our rights to the one who ultimately holds all rights. And that's not something we do once, one and done, right? Each new hurt, each new offense is a fresh opportunity to surrender our rights and to respond humbly and dependently on God. So you have some more questions to think over. Pause, ponder, pray. Ladies, we must talk to ourselves. We should say our faith in God 
does not prevent us from encountering trouble, but does equip us to trust him in the midst of it. So let's move on to number four, shepherding my heart. We're still on page seven. Shepherding my heart, my thoughts, my reasoning. So in order to have right thinking and the upward spiral, we need to shepherd our heart and our reasoning a lot. No magic formula, no shortcuts, but I'm talking about going through the realities of everyday life, joyful times, times of rejection, loss, disappointment, trials, talking to yourself the whole time, correcting yourself using God's word. You know, and it doesn't have to be big things like receiving a cancer diagnosis. It can also be the mundane little things of living life in a broken world. Like uh, an example happened to me, you're in a hurry. Um, you want to leave the house because you just got the day all lined up, right? All these appointments, check, check, check. And you get in the car and what happens? It won't start. And there you are stuck in your garage and there goes your schedule. So what does facing the slide in that situation look like? Okay, what are you going to do? You know, you pray first. Stop and pray. And here's something that you can pray along the lines of. You can go, Father, you know I desire to get to my appointment on time. But I also know you desire for me to do all things to your glory. <clears throat> so please allow me to respond to this situation in a way that brings you glory. I thank you I'm free from the bondage of sin. Think about your transformation of man, ladies. Excuse me. You're praying to God and you're saying, I don't have to nurse a sinful attitude right now. Help me, help me, help me to praise you now, even though I don't understand. King David learned the importance of counseling his heart according to the truth of God's character. Psalm 42, 5 and 6. We get to witness David talking to himself right there. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. Notice how being in turmoil goes hand in hand with remembering God. Sisters, how quickly we can forget God. You have another, um, another great quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Please take time to read it. Do you know, that's why Philippians 4, 8, and 9 was part of your homework. If you haven't already memorized it, I urge you to begin. Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And then he goes on to say, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Dwell on these things. 
practice these things. You have a formula at the bottom of this swirl spiral page. I deserve plus what I tr I desire plus what I truly deserve equals no demands. In this upward spiral, we begin, as always, with our desires, but we place them with an open hand. So if you don't do anything else, just write or draw a picture of an open hand. We place them with an open hand before the Lord, seeking his will and remembering our position prior to being rescued by him through salvation. That's why we spent so much time reviewing the transformation of man at the beginning. Stephen L. Troji says, prior to conversion, we were divine terrorists. Another good quote on your outline. We won't take time to read it all. But it's a good one. See, even in this upward spiral, we still have our three safety measures. So let's see how this plays out in the request, obedient, hopeful spiral. First, we need to be aware. Keep in mind that even if my, if my desire is a really good desire, the Lord may choose something else for me. So in light of this truth, I have to remind myself that I should have an attitude of submission. Submission. I should tell myself, if the Lord wills, per James 4, 14 and 15, you know, when Mary was told by Gabriel that she would bear a child, oh, it was extremely good news. And yet, can you just imagine all the millions of thoughts that were swirling in her head as she tried to figure all this out? Hmm. You know, she, she was about to be placed in a potentially very embarrassing situation, a very difficult position, betrothed to Joseph, their stigma, of unwed motherhood and Joseph would obviously have known that's not his child remember the angel had not gone to Joseph yet she would be accused of adultery and that is an offense punishable by stoning and yet what did she do she willingly and graciously submitted to the will of God in Luke 138 she said behold the bond slave of the Lord may it be done to me according to your word. She said, in effect, you're my God. I accept any inconvenience or hardship this will mean for me. All that matters to me is fulfilling the purpose for which you created me. I trust you. I'm confident you're going to take care of this and give me all that I need. See, slow down. We need to take inventory of where we're not relinquishing your perceived rights. Simply, we just tell ourselves, I deserve hell and anything else is a good day. <laughs> Remember Romans 6.23. I dwell on the truth of the gospel that God is sovereign and I can trust him in all circumstances. My attitude is, Lord, you're a good shepherd. I can trust you in this. Cameron and Matt Dodd famously would say, Lord, if you had anything better for me right now, you would give it. I love that quote. 
Remember the blue transformation of man pamphlet describes the heavenly state too, ladies. We can slow down long enough to rejoice in the fact heaven lasts forever. On earth, my disappointment will be short-lived, no matter how long this trial lasts, because it's nothing in comparison to heaven, where I'll be at home with the Lord forever. And then we respond saying, my life is not my own. My satisfaction in the things of the world aren't my chief aim. God is. God gives me the ability to persevere. He does. And I pray, Lord, do what you will. And I respond by going to his word and reading it out loud so I can hear myself declare the truth. A good place to start, please write this down, Psalm 103, Psalm 145. You read those out loud to yourself. I respond by relinquishing my rights. I make no demands. Godly contentment means I stop believing the lie that I have to feel good all the time. Godly contentment means I deserve hell and I don't get it. Godly contentment is I remember who God is. You have a fill in the blank on the bottom of page eight. Discontentment happens when I don't have what I want. Discontentment happens when I don't have what I want. Contentment happens when I realize that I do have much more than I deserve. I do have much more than I deserve. Speaking this truth to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves helps us put all our desires on hold. And we ponder the great mountain of blessings we already have. We have received so many good gifts, ladies. So let's stop obsessing with what we want and let's start marveling at what God has given us. Another way we respond, we're at the end now on page nine, is putting off and putting on. Please write Colossians 3, 1 through 17 on your outline and read that today because that is the summary of everything we've talked about today right there in 17 verses. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. See, it's not enough to put off grumbling. We must put on worship. It's not enough to put off being demanding. We must put on being content. It's not enough to put off anger. We must also put on joy. How? Well, we've been regenerated, so we can, right? God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So you've been so wonderful listening, and I thank you. This is a long lesson. We just have a few more minutes. And so please, just a few more minutes, and then we'll go. But I wanted to point out that if you just glance down at the upward spiral, you'll see the fruit of the Spirit listed several times. That's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So let's super speedy fast 
see how, how the fruit of the Spirit can play out using these upward spirals. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is the godly attitudes that sums up the lives of those who belong to God by faith in Christ and possess the Spirit of God. So let's talk about love. What does that look like? Well, we're talking about the agape kind of love, the dying to self. It's willing to set aside my perceived rights because I love others. Joy. You know, I can have joy regardless of the circumstances because I have salvation. I counsel myself that joy is not an absence of trouble. Joy is the presence of Christ. What about peace? Well, peace comes from God no matter whether my circumstances change or not. Peace is a gift from the Prince of Peace. Peace is the deliberate adjustment of my life to the will of God. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. We also have patience. Patience means not being easily offended. You put up with others because God was patient to me. It was his patience and his kindness that led to my repentance. Romans 2, 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? And that leads into kindness. It's tender care of others in the midst of life. It's when you recognize you have a desire and also what you truly deserve. You can relinquish all rights. You say to yourself, I deserve death and wrath. So you know what? I can be kind to these people right here, right now. I can. You remind yourself that it was the kindness of God that led you to repentance. Then there's goodness. You tell yourself, God was so good to me. He sent his son to die for my sins. You remind yourself what God's definition of good is. Good is that God crushed his own son. You remember Romans 8.28 is followed by 8.29. Very important that God is working all things so that he's conforming you to the image of his son. Faithfulness is loyal, trustworthy. It's the opposite of that swirl of discouragement and self-serving behaviors that just want comfort. You pray and ask God to help you be faithful to do the next right thing, whether you feel like it or not. Then there's gentleness. That's meekness. You and I can sit back in the midst of things going our way, not going our way, and we say, God, I don't understand this, but I trust you. This is what you have ordained for me today. If you had anything better for me, you would give it. And there's self-control. That's the ability for the person to have mastery over their desires and passions. You know, we should, be, we should assume the role of being our own inner conversation police officer. We should frisk our thoughts at the door of our minds, right? And we should confront them and say, any sinful thought, out you go. 
out you go. You have the right to remain silent, right? We've got some ponder pause cray, and we're done. You have on the back of the um, of your handouts, you have some wonderful resources. This book I'd like to recommend to you, it's called Lies Women Believe. It's a super book. So these two books, uh, Greener Grasses and Lies, are where I got a lot of the material. So I want to give credit to both of these. And I'd love to just pray and send us off to our groups. Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, man, we are full of, full of wonderful teaching. Thank you so much for how you give us everything we need, Lord, really, to live a life that is pleasing to you. Thank you for the tools that we have. Thank you, Lord, for the situations you've placed us in. Help us remember um, that they're there for our good. Help us not to grumble, regardless of how many worms we experience today. You've also given us so many plants to be thankful for. May we always be tender-hearted, Lord, to you, quick to flee and quick to um, fight sin and, and just run into your arms. Help us on our skateboards as we're laboring up that hill, knowing that you are also laboring with us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.